Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, a long and wonderful interview with Joe Poplowski, Blue Bomber legend who's going into the Ring of Honor in October. Just about a half hour with the Blue Bomber legend. He spends all kinds of stories. It's a great listen, so stay tuned to the podcast. How long did you know about this? How long did you have to keep it a secret? It was uh, about two and a half weeks ago. It was a Saturday morning, and I happened to miss a phone call from Mr. Bob Irving. And uh, I checked the voicemail, and he asked me to call him back. And uh, I've mentioned to a couple of people, I actually thought Bob may have been calling me regarding an insurance related question and uh so i called him back expecting him to be saying hey you know i've got this situation or blah 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 which was you know not the case at all and uh he shares with me that he's on the uh the selection committee and he had the privilege uh and the pleasure to advise me that i've been the most recent uh selection into the hall of uh, pardon me the ring of honor and uh, so it totally totally caught me off guard in you know just a number of of uh, ways and for reasons etc but uh, yeah so that was pretty cool and we've got a family of three boys um, and so we let our family know and uh, I've got some family back in Edmonton a brother and sister and I let them know and you know feeling pretty proud of the situation I wanted to share it with some exclusive people and uh, and that was it. So we've been holding on to that information for about two and a half weeks now. And how does it feel now to have the news out there and how many people have called you today to congratulate you? It's It's been a, uh, a quite a busy day, you know. Um, it reminds me of my insurance career when I was fielding, you know, 25 calls a day um, and that's not the case anymore. Um and it's been busy. There's been a number of text uh, messages from from friends from uh, basically for all the way from Vancouver, Edmonton, former teammates, um, of course, family. My three boys have, you know, uh, have gotten back in touch with me. And uh, yeah, so it's been pretty cool. And, you know, I was speaking with Jim Toth earlier today and a couple of other media reps. And uh, so it's it's fun to share memories because you know some of the questions are what was it like playing then or what are some of the fondest memories and you talk to most retired athletes that have got sh- uh, stories to share and you give them the opportunity and you better be ready you know for a long period of time and uh, that's been the case I think I've ran overtime with both Jim and and a couple of other reporters but uh, hey I'm okay with that as they as long as they are. Yeah, hey, we're, we got all kinds of time tonight. If you want to take your time here on the show tonight, I have no problem with that. Uh, uh, sounds good. Yeah, well, let's just, uh, I guess, start with the fact that you've put together such a career that they felt compelled to put you up on the Ring of Honor. When you look up there and you see the names that you're going to be joining, you see the likes of Bob Irving, as you mentioned. You've got yep. Ken Plain, Chris Walby. Uh, Dieter Brock, Milt Stiegel, Doug Brown, Herb Gray, Bud Grant, Leo Lewis, Bob Cameron, Fritz Hansen, Jack Jacobs, Jerry James. A long and storied history in this franchise. You're the 14th person to go up there. What does that mean to you? Well, you've you've hit on it, Christian. You talk about those names. And, uh, I, you know, I've been 
fortunate to get to know um, previous generational football players. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, Kenny Plain um, and uh, it, it, Jerry James. I've, I've gotten to know uh, over the years as well. And teammates, um, Chris Walby, uh, Bob Cameron, um, Dieter Brock, and individuals that I've met um, and was a fan of theirs. And that is, uh, you know, Doug Brown and uh, Milt Stiegel. So it's been multi-generational that I've, you know, uh, been able to connect with these particular individuals. And there's, you know, there's one thing about each and every one of them, and that is the fact that they were outstanding football players, but they are tremendous human beings. And uh, so I'm, you know, proud to be recognized and named within that group, but I'm also proud to know them, you know, some as friends and others as acquaintances, but respect, respectful of each and every one of them. Um, and then there's the other aspect and that's the next group, you know, those that are behind and upcoming and, and deserve it to be, you know, recognized previous to me, but, you know, the selection committee is the selection committee and, you know, they've done a wonderful uh, job in in selecting the previous names and i'm honored to be you know the next one and uh it's it's pretty special especially when i think about you know my um my upbringing and my coming to winnipeg and the circumstances and the factors and and uh you know what i thought the results were going to be when i first showed up in winnipeg this is really the first the furthest thing that I would have expected um, to have happened. Well, take me back to 1978 when you're traded here prior to the 1978 season from Edmonton, your hometown team. What was going through your mind when you found out you were going to be a Blue Bomber? Well, I, I think I have to share, you know, the fact as how it happened, the the situation. And I had only played three years of university. And back then, and to this day, you can play five years. Um, I had a three-year science degree, and in the CFL and Canadian football, once you get a degree, you're eligible for the CFL draft. And back then, they had what is called the territorial protection. And each CFL team was allowed to protect two players from their region. Edmonton protected me that, that season because I had my university, my science degree. Um, they invited me to come out to their training camp and I did not think I was ready because uh, I had only played three years of college football and truly Christian, I only played three years of receiver. I was a quarterback in high school. So I only had three years as a receiver under my belt and my first year of university football, I caught five passes in eight games. These are not as outstanding numbers and really I was a decoy. So that season to me was a total write-off. So realistically i had played two years as a receiver so i knew that i was green i had a lot of learning and uh, i didn't think i was anywhere near ready for the professional level but i had a great coach my final year that third year of university football i did have a very good season and i knew that i was i was i was trending i was going in the right direction but the eskimos wanted me to come out and um try out and I thought that you know there were other opportunities for me I'd been contacted by the NFL and I 
never really thought that I was good enough or that that was the path that I would take. But I just thought I might want to go back and play another year of university football. The Eskimos did not like my answers to their questions as far as coming out to their training camp and, you know, parting ways with them halfway through training camp that would force me to go back to school, et cetera, et cetera. So it became a little complicated and it became a little bit of a, I need an agent to represent me type of conversation. And that agent said, Joe, this is not the right way for you to go. Um, So definitely go back and play another year of university football. I relay that that message to the Eskimos and it was a midweek afternoon The following day, I get a phone call at about 10 or 11 at night, and it's a reporter from the Edmonton newspaper. He had been covering me during my college days, and so it's 11 o'clock at night, and I'm just saying, hey, Ray, his name was Ray Turchansky, and I say, hey, Ray, what are you doing calling me at 11 o'clock at night? And he says, well, I just wanted to ask you, how does it feel to be a Winnipeg Blue Bomber? And I'm just... Uh, pardon me. And he says, you haven't heard? Nobody's contacted you? And I said, no. And he said, you were traded as of four o'clock this afternoon. You've become a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I was shocked, uh, totally blown away by everything. And my only answer, or my, my first answer was, well, I guess this is business now. It's no longer amateur in college and it's it's business. And then the discussions with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers began. And my intention was, and I steadfast with that decision for about, you know, three weeks, I was going to go back to school, play another year of university football. But then the football club, the Bombers became, you know, rather persuasive in wanting to bring me to Winnipeg. And they persuaded me, you know, with discussions with, again, Ed Molstad, my, my representative and it was an offer I couldn't refuse. Um, I share the story. I, I actually, that summer, I was going to be swinging a hammer, uh, framing homes, and I was going to make $2.25 an hour. And when <laughs> when I, I received the offer from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as far as a, you know, a bonus to arrive and take part, and I showed this information or I spoke about this with my mom and dad, they they couldn't believe it and neither could I. I said I, I would have to work I would have to work six summers of framing homes to make, you know, what they were just willing to to pay me to show up to Winnipeg. And I could maintain my college, you know, eligibility if they asked me to go back to school. And I thought that, that was a smart move. And it was a smart move, you know, from a business perspective, but it even became a smarter move when I realized hey, I can compete. <laughs> I can play with these guys, and uh, and it worked out pretty well. So going into the Winnipeg experience, you mentioned you felt kind of green coming out of school at that point. At what point did you realize, en route to a Rookie of the Year season, hey, you know what? I can really do this. That's a really good question, and and there's there's a bit of a side story here, and that was the quarterback at the time, of course, was the legend Dieter Brock. And Dieter Brock, I came in as a, you know, as a green receiver and nobody knew me. And of course, I didn't expect anybody to know me. And I was competing against a veteran by the name of Mark McDonald. And Mark McDonald had been with the team for about five years and he was a loved player and should have been and was a loved player for good reason. He was a, he was a great teammate. Uh, he, he was the consummate teammate. 
tried the best, you know, offered help for other players, et cetera, et cetera. And it became a little bit of a Joe Poplowski versus Mark McDonald tryout. And Dieter was throwing the ball to Mark and uh, during practices and during drills and stuff. And maybe it was, maybe it was misconception on my part, but I felt that I wasn't getting enough passes from Dieter Brock. There was a second quarterback by the name of Harry Knight and Harry was a good quarterback, but he was definitely Dieter's backup. When Harry would come into the huddle, I felt that there was an extraordinary number of passes from Harry Knight to Joe Poplowski. And so we became, you know, there was a bit of a connection there. So um, my, my first regular season game, Dieter starts or Ralph starts and he hasn't thrown a ball to me the entire first quarter, first quarter and a half. And Dieter gets pulled and they bring in Harry Knight. And uh, the very first play that Harry Knight calls, it's coming to me. And, you know, I'll proudly say uh, it was a good play. It was a good play on his part and it was a good play on my part. And a couple of plays later, he throws the ball to me again. And it was, again, a nice combination. And so by the end of the first, and, and then something else happens and I make a play. So by the end of the first half, Harry and I, we've got something going on. It's it's clicking. And uh, I go on in the second half and I catch three more passes. So as a rookie, I catch six passes for 90 yards. That's not a bad set of numbers. You know, even today you look at it, that's not a bad night's work in the league. And it was that game that I said, you know, I can compete and I can play with these guys. And I just need to have the confidence of everybody on the field to distribute the ball to me. And then Dieter started to show the confidence and, you know, then boom, boom, boom. The rest is history. Dieter has a good year. I have a good year and it carried on, et cetera, et cetera. But it was that, that first game that if it wasn't for Harry Knight coming into the, onto the field, I'm not sure what the rest of my career would have been like. It's right place, right time. And there's a perfect example. When I asked Bob Irving uh, to share your contact info with me today, he said, quote, one of the best bomber players I ever covered. Ask him how good Dieter Brock was. So I ask you, Joe Pavlosky, how good was Dieter Brock? Unbelievable. Um, could throw the ball sideways through the offensive line. Most quarterbacks throw the ball over top of the offensive line. Dieter had this ability to drop back and deliver the ball between creases or openings amongst blockers. Um, wasn't the most mobile, tough as nails. I mean, he took a pounding and he basically wore shoulder pads that one had one fiberglass cap on the left shoulder and a little bit of padding on the right shoulder and a little bit of chest padding. But it was for a reason it allowed for all mobility in the throwing motion. And he, he got beat up as, as do most quarterbacks. Um, but when Dieter and I started, you know, connecting, it's no surprise, or I have to say, um, he's directly responsible for the recognition that I received in the first part of my career. And I am forever grateful to Dieter Brock. And well, without question, 
he was the most outstanding player in the CFL. I, I believe he won it back-to-back years, and yep. um, he was deserved of it without question. Was it weird to beat him in the Grey Cup game in 1984? You know, it wasn't weird facing him, but it was really tough um, post-game. He was the first player, like, after the, the game was over, he was the first player that I ran to. I didn't even really celebrate, you know, you know, congratulate, high-five, whatever, with my own teammates. The first person I went to see was Dieter. And uh, Dieter was not a very emotional man, and... I do believe that I saw a tear or two in his eyes and, uh, and he, you know, was such a leader and he, he ran for a touchdown in the game and he didn't do that very often, but that's the type of leader that he was. He knew it was his last game and, uh, there's no doubt about it. The better team won that game, but I'm telling you, um, early in the game, it, it wasn't looking good for us. And it was because of Dieter Brock and his ability to be a leader and to, you know, t- to take the Hamilton Tiger Cats to that championship game. A 47-17 win for Winnipeg in that game. For you, though, and that team, after losing the West Final the previous two years and three of the previous four, you lost Edmonton a couple times there, the team that traded you away. How satisfying was it to win? I know at the expense of Dieter Brock, but how great was it to win finally after so many years of getting close? That's, you know, that's the, um, that was the highlight of my career, really, um, was that Grey Cup victory. And for us to have battled so many, we were so close, Christian. We were so close so many years. (laughs) You know, the Eskimos win that five in a row. If the Eskimos don't have that dynasty, we probably would have won a couple of great cups and, you know, Winnipeg wouldn't have gone 22 years without a great cup victory, 62 being the last one. We would have won, you know, a couple over that period of time. And instead of my having one great cup ring, I should have had three or, you know, whatever. Um, but you know, that's, that's football and that sport. Um, yeah. So it was, it was the be all and all. I remember us, beating BC in that Western final to advance to the Grey Cup. And and in our eyes, that was the biggest challenge we had. We weren't sure who we would face in the East, but the West was a, an extremely strong conference. And we went into BC, and playing in BC, Christian, I mean, this is before your time, I'm sure. <laughs> but there were 50,000 people in an enclosed stadium you could not, I couldn't, Chris Walby was the right tackle. I'd be the slot back and I'm six feet away from him. I could not, I could not hear what he was, he was yelling at me. I mean, the fans were absolutely wild. They had crazy George beating that drum, which just caused everybody to go more ballistic. And yet we beat them and we beat them fair and square. And we, we gave it to him and we gave it to him good. I mean, it was a closer game than uh, than maybe I'm describing. But uh, and then the cool thing, this was really neat. I'm I'm in the uh, dressing room, and Pat Clayton, our trainer, comes out of the training room and he says, "Hey, Joe, there's a phone call from your family in Edmonton," and I'm just, "What? What are you talking about? Nobody gets a phone call in the dressing room." 
And somehow my brother, <laughs> who had been watching the game with the Edmonton family, and he says, hey, Yuzh, which is my name in Polish, he says, congratulations, I guess you're going to the Great Cup. And I'm just, how the heck did you get into this, you know, contact me, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a, it was a tremendous, you know, family moment sort of thing. But uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And of course, going on and we played the Grey Cup in Edmonton in 84, which is my hometown. So, you know, it's kind of fateful how things came into play. And the fact that we got to play it in Edmonton in front of, you know, my hometown, high school friends, family, et cetera, et cetera. That was, that was special. Looking back at your career, retiring at the age of 29, do you ever look back and think I could have kept playing or are you satisfied with hanging it up when you did? I could have kept playing. Uh, There's no doubt I could have kept playing. I was beat up. I was sore. I had back issues. But, you know, you look at you look at the records. My last year, I was the outstanding Canadian. I was uh, I was an all star in the league. I was a thousand yard receiver. Um, there's no doubt that I could have kept playing, but I don't regret um, the decision. I retired at 29. I had a career ahead of me in the insurance business. I had a young family. Um it was the right move at the right time. And, uh, there are regrets. Don't get me wrong. There are regrets that, uh, potentially I could have had some additional numbers and instead of my being in this position, I could have been in that position, but, uh, yeah, it's worked out pretty well. So when you saw the bombers win it in 88 and 90, you weren't thinking, ah, oh, darn, I could have been there for that. You were there cheering them on. Oh, I was definitely cheering them on. And, uh, you know, the 88 team, there were still, uh, you know, there were still a number of my teammates that I played with in 90, you know, the, the CFL, that's, it's a trans transitional sort of league. There's lots of movement, et cetera, et cetera. By 90, it was a little bit of a different squad, et cetera. But yeah, I was supporting these fellas all the way. As a matter of fact, uh, the 90 team, the Grey Cup was played in Vancouver and I happened to be out there and I watched the game and my good buddy Rick House scores a touchdown. I didn't think that he was young enough to run that far actually to make it all the way to the end zone. And I hope Hauser is listening to this. Um, anyways, um, I was so happy for them and they just absolutely dominated a team that was predicted to be the better of the two. And uh, I'm so proud of this organization I'm so proud of this squad this year and the past year, number of years. You know, I mean, there's been some tough times, but what this team is doing right now, that's um, that's what Bomber football is all about. And uh, I tip my hat to these guys. So you're still a big fan of the team, keeping track of them every week these days? Huge. I, I must admit, I've got season's tickets and I may not make it to many of the games, but I'm supporting them. Um, and I watch every one of their games and I'm a big fan. Um, and I love these receivers and, uh, I really like their offense and I love their pressure defensive line when they decide to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. And I'm such a fan of the uh, coaching staff and of management and how they put things together. And they just, 
they're doing things the right way. And when you hear the players talking about what it's like in the dressing room and the organization, um, that just, uh, it makes me feel so good that these guys are, uh, are appreciated and they're treated with class. From your life after football point of view, what was it about the city of Winnipeg and Manitoba as a whole that made you want to stay here? Well, it certainly starts with a beautiful blonde, <laughs> you know, that, that I met. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of that. And sometimes I should be careful with how I word that. But I met Darlene. And, uh, you know, we, we established a relationship. And uh, I knew that life would, would be much better in Winnipeg where, you know, the name had been established. Um, and the career was, you know, starting to present itself and, uh, Dar and I, you know, we got married, um, a couple of years after we met, you know, we've got three boys, um, two of which that live in the city. The third is down in the United States. They've got such great friends. You know, the license plate says it all. It's friendly Manitoban. You know, it was certainly like that. And it, still is like that. I mean, the number of messages I've received from friends and family and mostly from Manitoba, but Manitobans that have relocated and are staying in touch with, you know, what's going on. Uh, it's pretty hard to leave when you become embedded and it's, you know, even harder to leave when your family is embedded in the community and, and that's where we are and that's who we are. And, and uh, yeah, I'm a Manitoban and uh, loving every minute of it. You've been generous with your time, Joe. I've got just two more questions for you. One, sure. you mentioned the name had been established here. Did your name help you sell more insurance? <laughs> it opened up the door. But, you know, when you're in front of the client, you gotta you got to prove that you're worthy of their business. And, uh, you know, uh, a friend of mine, they, they, it was kind of a motto that I live by. And it was, you know, the client or the prospect, it's, it's, they don't really care about what you know um, until you establish that you know them and uh, getting to know them. And that was the way that I, I tried to operate is to, get to know the individual and uh, understand what they were all about and what their needs were and what their backgrounds were and how this related to, you know, their, their home and, and their, their belongings and, and their needs, et cetera, et cetera. So did it help without question? It opened up some doors and, uh, and it also resulted in a successful insurance career and one that I'm very proud of. And finally, your 1986 season, are you more proud of the eight touchdowns or the eight field goals? <laughs> Jeez, that's a good question. You know, I've never been asked that question. Um, yeah, you know, some of them were chip shots, but there was a 44-yarder in Calgary. You know, that's not a chip shot. So maybe that one field goal stands out more so than any one touchdown, but I would call it a draw. Yeah, that's 
That's a really good question. You've done your homework. Thanks for that. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. It's good feedback. I love that. Well, Joe, again, congratulations on this honor. Uh, We'll see you in October uh, when your name gets up there on the Ring of Honor. Thanks for your time tonight. Well, thank you. I appreciated uh, chatting with you. You have yourself a great day. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day.